Welcome to the Mormon Marriages Podcast. I am Angela Bagley. And I'm Nate Bagley. As Mormons, we believe that the most important thing in life is family. And the backbone of your family is your marriage. So on this podcast, we're going to talk with Mormon couples and relationship experts who provide amazing insights into what it takes to create a marriage that will make you look forward to eternity. We would love it if you subscribe to the show and reach out to us if you have any questions, suggestions, or ideas that can help us make it even better. Hey, everybody. Hello. Welcome to the new episode of the Mormon Marriages Podcast. We're so excited you're here. Apologies for... um, for releasing it a day later than normal, and thank you for being so patient with us. Right. We've had lots of wonderful things occupying our time. Preparing for date night this week, which is a little stressful and very exciting. Right. And Super uh, exciting. hope to see you there if you're in the Salt Lake City area. Uh, you can go to utahdatenight.com for information. And I'm excited about this episode. It's so fantastic. So I want to talk about where this episode came from. We, we actually got a letter from a listener who is a new bishop, and he said that um, in the first year as bishop, he's realized that there's a lot of... He, he believes that there are some some men in the church who are in his ward that are exercising unrighteous dominion over their wives because they don't know what it is. They don't really even realize they're, that they're oblivious doing it. to yeah. the fact that they're doing it. And so he said, would you do an episode on unrighteous dominion so we can have a more clear idea of what it is and how it looks inside of a relationship and like what to do to prevent it or stop it if it's happening. And so uh, we said, yeah, absolutely. And we reached out to an expert, right, Dr. Julie Diacevedo Hanks. Yes. She is a... She's a licensed clinical social worker and a psychotherapist. Uh, she specializes in women's emotional health and relationships and is the founder of Wasatch Family Therapy. She's been a therapist for over 23 years, specifically in Utah. So she's very familiar with um, the Mormon culture well, and Mormon I mean, she's background. she's a Mormon herself. So. Her husband's a bishop. Right. She's very familiar with us. She's also an author. She's a blogger. She contributes a lot to local and national media. She's been on a lot of uh, guests on a lot of radio shows. She um, is a songwriter. I mean, she's just really fantastic. Super talented really lady, talented. super thoughtful, mm-hmm. and it was really fun talking to her. We had a lot of fun in yeah. this conversation, and I loved that we we explored ideas together. And we Yeah, one thing that was really fun about this is that we didn't go in with any answers in mind. We just came into this conversation with questions mm-hmm. and wanted to kind of explore the idea of, of what this what is unrighteous dominion. And I think we had a really interesting conversation, one that I didn't really expect. And and it completely changed my perspective on things. And I'm grateful for this conversation. It was awesome. Great. So give it a listen. Enjoy. We're excited for you to hear it. And if you enjoy it, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you and let us know what you think of the show. Let us know if you have any couples you'd like us to interview. Or and give us some ideas. Just like this this episode came from the idea of a listener, we'd, we'd love your ideas. It's true. Okay. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Welcome okay. everyone. <laughs> yeah, we're here <laughs> uh, in the home of Julie Hanks. Super excited to have you on the show. Thank you. And we're talking about something um, today that, it, like, it's a it's a sensitive subject. I feel like, and it, but it's an important one. We got an email from a listener a few weeks ago, and he's a bishop in um, the southern states, and said that as a new bishop in the lat like the first year as his uh, being a bishop, he's noticed that there 
he's noticed several occurrences of men exercising unrighteous dominion, what he would describe as unrighteous dominion over their wives. And that he doesn't even think that they realize that they're doing it. Mm. And I think that's the key right there is that they see a lot of it without even noticing that it's even a part of their lives. Yeah. So he asked us if we would maybe do an episode or two on what is unrighteous dominion? What does it look like? How does it affect families? And and maybe what we can do about it as a culture, because I think of all things that um, we shouldn't be doing as members of the LDS church, as members of this faith, it, it would be taking advantage of of, um, our partner, mm-hmm. you know, it's just marriage is such a key and important aspect. It's like one of the foundational aspects of our gospel. And when we're taking advantage of our, of the person that we're supposed to spend eternity with, like that's a, that's not a great thing, but if people are doing it without realizing it, I'd l- like, I'd really love to talk about maybe what that looks like. So sounds good. You, mm-hmm. you are like, uh, Tell us a little bit about you and your experience working with couples and and families. Yeah, just professionally, Uh I've been a therapist for 23 years. I own Wasatch Family Therapy, and I've supervised a lot of therapists. And I've only practiced in Utah, so I've seen a lot of... A lot of Mormons. A lot of Mormons, (laughs) and I love it. I love Mormon clients. Uh, I specialize in working with women and couples. And so I've seen this uh, unrighteous dominion. And I define it as as just um, controlling others, mm-hmm. controlling others in a in a way that's not uh, aligned with the laws of God. Which oh, can I start with a scripture? It feels like a devotion. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> but I love the scripture DNC one twenty one forty one. No power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of the priesthood. Only by persuasion, by long suffering, by gentleness and meekness, and by love unfeigned. Hmm. So. I, I think an easy way to think about this is, are, are we using fear or are we using love to influence other people or mm-hmm. to control? And that's, if you're using fear, it's probably unrighteous, uh, if that's the motivation. Yeah. So can you talk to me about, um, so the ge- I, I understand the general principle here like governing or, or, or presiding or, or leading in a, from a place of fear is not going to be the Lord's way. But what are some ways that you've like seen this show up in, in relationships that, um, that might, some of them might be obvious and some that might be less obvious. Yeah. Some obvious ones are making decisions without counseling with your spouse. Mm-hmm. So, Making financial, I've seen a lot of financial decisions made or employment decisions made without counseling and consulting a spouse. Mm. So taking a new job that requires the family to move is not something that you just inform your spouse of, right? Oh, man. So I've seen that. Um, I've also seen situations where, um, you know, use of anger to control, like uh, put downs. And that, that goes into more than unrighteous dominion. That goes into abuse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Name calling. um, Very contemptuous behaviors. Right. Right. And it happens in really great couples and families. So it's really, it's more common than we'd think. Yeah. Uh, People kind of, you know, get to the, are pushed to the point or get to the point where they start doing that. But, um, and and being angry is not bad. I want to distinguish angry 
thoughts and feelings and angry behavior. Right. Right. So everybody, everybody has anger, but how you use that and how you express that is, that's where the moral issue comes in. So you you can be angry and you can still be kind. You can say, I'm angry. Or you can be angry and still (laughs) be polite. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you tear someone down, so a good question I like to ask is, can the other person continue to feel good about themselves in this interaction? That's a good question. Yeah. So, right, I can feel okay about myself if my husband's mad at me, but Mm -hmm. if he's calling me names and belittling me and telling me I'm a horrible wife and a horrible mother and... It's going to be really hard for me to feel good. Right. So that's that's a nice way of, okay, can the other person maintain a sense of self-worth and self-esteem in this interaction? So that's a, it's a good question. I feel like that's a great question to ask yourself, but in the heat of the moment, most people aren't that self-aware when they're really angry right. or frustrated or like when they're lashing out. They're not thinking, is this going to help my partner feel better about themselves or not? Right. So... I think, yeah, you have to think about that before and after. Um, but people who are really self-aware don't allow themselves to get to that point. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Sure. so it's going to be people who get to that point then reflecting afterward, wow, that was unrighteous dominion. That was control. That was use of fear uh, to, to control or to maintain uh, a hierarchy. So let's talk about, can we talk about that? Yeah, we can hierarchy. talk about that. Yes. Um, so there's there's a theory called cultural transformation theory that I used as a basis of my dissertation. But one of the there it goes through two different models of relationships and that is from a societal level on down to an interpersonal level. Um, on one end of the continuum is dominator system and the other is partnership system. And dominator systems are based on ranking through fear and force, usually uh well, and masculine-led, so it's usually men are more valued than women in these societies or in these systems. Uh, Anything associated with women and uh, femininity is devalued, including caregiving. And uh, there's an in-group, out-group. So it's really this hierarchy of ranking where it's, you know, people on top want to stay on top and and keep Mm -hmm. everybody else down. Mm -hmm. And so you can see that in our broader society, right? That we, we rank each other a lot. Yeah. Where, how much money do you make? And how, you know, how much power do you have? On the other end of the continuum, and this is the partnership system, and it's been more of a, uh, an anomaly in the history of the world, but there have been partnership societies where the entire society is organized through hierarchies of actualization. So there's still hierarchies, there's still leadership, but the leadership's job is to actualize or to improve the lives of every single member of the society. And it's organized instead of by ranking, by linking and connecting. So you can think of, of um, dominator as ranking and partnership as relationship, connection, those are, those are the big difference in how they're organized. Uh, in partnership societies, masculine and feminine are equally valued. Everyone participates in caregiving. Uh, there's a low, there's really low levels of violence. Uh, in dominator systems, there's a high level of institutionalized violence. Mm. So that's where we, we can see a lot of that in the news today. Mm. Uh, a lot of violence, particularly against women and other vulnerable children and other vulnerable people. So this applies to families in how we organize our families. So is our family based on ranking or is it based on relationship? 
And when you're acting out of a relationship, which is connection-based, you're going to have a lot less unrighteous dominion because you're caring about the connection, not about maintaining your status Mm -hmm. as being above another person. Hmm. Right. And I think if you look at the doctrine that we teach in our church, they teach more of that. Or that we should teach in our church. Well, that we do teach is the partnership model. If you look at the family proclamation to the world and things like that, it does talk about the husband and wife being equal partners. And, um, I think what the doctrine is sound, it just comes to making our culture fit with that doctrine. If that makes sense. Yeah. And our, our, we are influenced by the broader culture in which we're embedded and Mm -hmm. the Mormon church is very American still, you know, influenced by American culture. And so we can see those, uh, shadows of domination in how we relate to each other and how we interpret the doctrine. And so I think you're right. I think the core, I mean, if you look at the life and teachings of Christ, it's all about relationship and connection. Mm -hmm. It's not about, I mean, you know, and he speaks out about putting yourself above being puffed up with pride. Um, and he demonstrated meekness. And so it really is, uh, the partnership model really does fall in line with the actual doctrine, but not necessarily the practices, which yeah. is why we're doing this podcast, right? right? Exactly. That's really interesting. <laughs> I remember, <clears throat> I remember interviewing um, Gary Chapman, the author of the Five Love Languages, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize this, but he almost got divorced. And part of the reason that he almost got divorced was because of what I would what I would consider to be. Um, he was ignorant to his own unrighteous dominion. Mm. And he, when he got married, he had a really specific idea of what marriage would look like. And he would go, he was in grad school at the time going to, uh, I think like theology school or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he would go to school all day and work and then come home and he wanted the house to be clean and dinner to be made and his wife to be happily greeting him. And that wasn't her idea of what a great marriage looked like. And mm-hmm. so when he came home and he didn't see the floors vacuumed or the dishwasher emptied or dinner on the table, he'd get frustrated and he'd do the whole, what, you know, what are you doing all day? What's, what's, what's the matter with you? Why aren't you doing marriage the way that marriage is supposed to work? Right. And he was getting really frustrated and she was getting really frustrated. And he said he got to the point where he was getting ready to go out and preach a sermon to a big group of like a big congregation on the topic of love. Mm. And he went before he went out, he went back into a room and, and said a prayer and just realized what a hypocrite he was. And he said, Lord, how can I go and teach a a sermon on love if I don't even love my own wife? Mm. And he said he had like this vision, this kind of like flashback, uh, it was put into his mind, this, uh, the idea of Christ washing the feet of his disciples. Mm -hmm. And he realized that what Christ wanted husbands to be, um, are servant leaders, not like, uh, not like a military leader, but like you lead by serving right. and cause that's how he led. And so he started going home every single day and made a commitment to himself that he'd go home every day and, and, um, try and find ways to serve his wife. You know, how can I help you today? What's something I can do to show you that I love you? And he'd vacuum the floor and he'd empty the dishwasher. And at first she was like really skeptical and she's like, what's going on here? You know? Mm-hmm. And then eventually like it was that, that made him realize that his wife, wife's love language was acts of service. And his love language was, and I hate talking about love languages cause I don't think they're, 
we can talk about that. Yeah. Some other time. <laughs> but that's that's how he got the it's idea. It's a helpful of, framing. And it, right. Yeah. If so he right. started to realize that like the, he needed to show his wife that he loved her, and and vice versa, that when he did that, yeah. she would show him in the way that he wanted and, and appreciated, um, and and save their marriage. And then that's kind of where he got the the idea for the the book, yeah. which has sold millions and millions of copies. But um, but yeah, I think sometimes we we do things in our culture. And we put people beneath us sometimes completely by accident, just by the, just having the thought of like, this is how I think it's supposed to be. Well, this is how my parents did it is a huge one. It's like, well, this is my mom is the one who made dinner every night. So why aren't you making dinner every night? And And she took care of the kids. So why aren't you taking care of the kids? And she bathes them and put them to bed. And why don't you, you know? Right. And that's, it's, who's this about? Is it about me and what I want? Or is this about the relationship about us and what we're trying to create? Right. It's a great example. And the criticism is a huge, uh, a huge problem in marriages, right? Men and women both do that, but that's, I think that falls under this unrighteous dominion, like criticizing and saying it should be my, things should be my way. My expectations should be met Mm -hmm. and mine are more important than yours. Right. It's really interesting. Right. So in a way, I think a lot of times we talk about unrighteous dominion in the context of being men, but I think it can go both ways Mm -hmm. too in that. Yeah, aspect. if you're trying to control someone else in a way that's not Christ-like, then mm-hmm. that's, that's to for men right. and women. Right. So uh, let's say you're in a partnership, you're in a marriage, and you've got a partner who's practicing, who, who's exercising unrighteous dominion. You feel like you're being dominated. You feel like you're being controlled in, in a way that is not helping your relationship. Uh, and maybe your partner is oblivious to it. What's a good way to maybe start to make a change and how do you bring that up? Yeah. Well, I, I always think a soft start, that's a John Gottman soft startup, right? (laughs) But if you say, Hey hun, there's, there's something that's bothering me. Can we have a conversation about it? And it's, it might be hard to hear and make sure they're ready to, you know, and then that uh, in and of itself is a huge gift right there. Like giving, giving your partner the opportunity to be like, Hey, (laughs) something hard is coming your way. Let me know when you're ready. Right. Right. And then to say, to explain what it is like, you know, when you, um, when you make decisions about our finances without consulting me, I feel small. I feel sad. Like I don't matter to you. Right. So you're not saying, right. But you're exercising unrighteous dominion over me. You (laughs) jerk. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you saved that because I almost said something I shouldn't have said on this podcast. (laughs) It's a Mormon podcast. It is a Mormon podcast. Jerk is the word that would be used, right? (laughs) Yes, totally. (laughs) Now now I lost my train of thought. (laughs) But yeah. So talking about the specific behavior is better than saying the general, you know, you're exercising unrighteous dominion. You're, you're a sinner. You're mm-hmm. misusing your priesthood. No, that's not going to work, but it specific. The specific situation is really helpful and they may not be willing to hear it. And that's when you call a therapist, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's Have not bad to ask for help. Yeah. yeah. Um, something I know that has helped us is every week we kind of have, do you, I don't know if you do, do you do this with, with your, with your husband kind of have like regular, um, what would you call them? Check-ins about how your relationship's going. Yeah. We don't have an official, but we check in regularly. Yeah. Like how are we? Yeah. Not just like, how was your day? How are the kids? We, we check in every, we try to check in almost every Sunday and just say like, what went well this week? What didn't go well this week? What do you want more of? How can I be better? 
and cool. um, like that. and sometimes in the what went what didn't go so well this week we have to talk about some ugly stuff like I don't like the way that you talked to me about this specific thing or I felt really really stupid when you brought when like you came at me this way or when mm-hmm. you showed up late to this thing it, it was embarrassing or and we can address the things that were sticky yeah and that way we're always kind of in tune with like how we are with each other. Does That's that make great. sense? Yeah. And you don't go too long. I mean, the problem is when couples go so long without checking in and oh, then the yeah. stuff just piles up, right? A week's worth you can deal with, but you know, 10 years worth is really hard to sort through and often needs professional intervention. Yeah, so good up. job. Good job. You Thank guys. you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it's all because we talk to people like you on a regular basis. <laughs> true. Like we we get therapy check constantly. <laughs> so what are, what are some other ways that you see unrighteous dominion kind of creeping into marriages? Aside from like, well, you've mentioned finances is one. Yeah. Finances, um, put downs. Yep. Con- I, I think one, th- one area that is used a lot is shame. Ooh. Like, I'm trying to think of an example, maybe a parent example, like where a father shames a child for if they didn't perform up to their expectations. Right. So shame is kind of the, this experience that you're unworthy of love and belonging. I thought you were better than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't, you don't belong. You're not lovable. Yeah. And that's based on the work of Brene Brown. And so that withdrawing of love, right, that and that that's where the love and the fear come. It's that fear like, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm not OK. I'm not OK with my dad or my mom or whoever. So I think you, the use of shame is really a common way that that we try to control people in. And that's really hurtful. Um, I think too high of expectations, like yeah. un, unreachable mm-hmm. expectations can can be a form of unrighteous dominion. Like w- how I think you should be as a child or as a spouse is what matters. So it's that ranking, right? My, yeah. my needs and expectations are more important than yours. And I think that's another area where, right, the house should be a certain way or the kids should be a certain way or, you know, you should only spend this much on groceries or you should, we should have sex every night or, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. If I'm ranking my expectations above my partners or my families, then that's unrighteous dominion. How do we... There's a lot of big stuff there. Yeah. How do we keep ourselves from having unrealistic expectations? (laughs) Well, I think... That's a big question. Yeah, that's a really big question. question. But I think it's really important to recognize that you have expectations. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to have expectations. The problem is when people don't recognize that they have expectations, they just expect it. And they just think that's the right way and that's the only way. Mm -hmm. I mean, people tend to get married and think that the way that their family did... Sunday dinners was the right way or the, you know, right. we kind of just think the way our parents parented is the right way, mm-hmm. but recognizing, Oh, I have an expectation based on what I saw or didn't see or what I decided and that I'm not right. It's just an expectation. It's, it's not like, and I'm okay if my expectations aren't met, mm. like I'm going to be okay. Right. You're not, the world's not going to end. <laughs> kind of detaching yourself from the outcome a little bit. Exactly. That's a great mm-hmm. way to say it is, is not being attached to how things like if you get your way or not, Yeah. because you're going to get, you're going to get what you want sometimes. And sometimes you're not. And the sooner we learn that, the better. <laughs> so this is reminding me of, um, oh man, just, I feel like there's a, pr- a prominent, 
like belief system that doesn't get spoken very often Mm -hmm. in our culture. And it's when you get married, you own your partner and your partner owns you. Mm. And like your partner's job is to meet your needs and your job is to meet your partner's needs, Mm -hmm. which gives you the, the, I don't know, permission or to do, to, to like demand things of your partner. Right. Your job is to make me happy. Yeah. (laughs) So I see, I've seen like husbands and wives alike, both like get upset with their partner for going out with friends Mm. and having friends outside of the marriage. Right. Um, and like, you're going to go have a girl's night or you're going to go have a guy's, a guy's night. And like, no, that's not enough. Yeah. Am I not enough for you? Or, um, Or like demanding sex is mm-hmm. probably another one where it's yeah. like, well, I have needs and, and you're my wife. And so mm-hmm. you need to help me. Meet I my own needs. you. Yeah. I own yeah. your body. Right. And, um, and there's even the, on a lesser degree, just the advice that we give people on their wedding day of like, well, if you just go give a hundred percent and do everything you can to meet his needs and he does everything that he can to meet your needs, then you're going to be a, have a happy marriage. And that's, I, I, I hate, hate that. that advice. It's put, bad put advice. So here's, needs so yours. that advice doesn't take into account socialization and the fact that women are already socialized to be sensitive and care, care caregivers yeah. and that men are socialized to be focused on self. So maybe, maybe men need that advice. Women generally don't need that advice. They're already right. socialized for 25 years or 35 years, whatever age they are to put other people's needs before theirs. Yeah. So when, yeah, I, I always go, Oh no, don't say that. It just, it just, it, it kind of gives somebody a blank check to take advantage of their partner whenever they're feeling empty. Right. And there's more, there's more, um, a sense of that of entitlement, I think, with men because of some of the language in our ceremonies and just yeah. some of the beliefs, and uh, maybe we'll get into presiding. Like, what is what is we that? Can definitely talk about that. that. Mean? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I cut you off. Oh no, that's okay. I was just gonna say that. I think that advice sets us up for failed expectations mm-hmm. because when we say, "Well, I'll scratch your back, so you'll scratch mine," but we don't voice that verbally it's just i'm gonna scratch his back and then he'll scratch mine we call them covert contracts yeah and then usually <laughs> unspoken agreements usually it ends up your expectations don't get met and right. you're resentful i'll give her a foot massage and if i do i know she'll reciprocate and give me one and then you don't get one and you get angry yeah and then you don't feel like you should ask for right. one right he right. should, like, should know. know right because i knew to give her hers so she should know to give me my, you know whatever yeah. I, right. this is such a great great conversation because there's this balance of being able to stand on your own two feet as an individual and being a partner in a marriage. Right. And we focus so much on, you know, being a couple sometimes or like now you're this eternal unit. It's like, well, yes. And you're still individual. So how do you deal with the tension of individuality and being part of a couple? Yeah. And that's, that's just the lifelong journey. But I think it's important to recognize you still have to own your individuality and bring that into the couple, into the marriage. And I think one of the biggest problems that couples face is they lose their individuality in sacrifice for the relationship and oftentimes in sacrifice for their children. Right. And, and 20 or 30 years down the road, they, the couple is left by themselves and they realize that they've lost themselves. Yeah. And they feel, and they resent the, their either their children or their partner for for that loss. And right, it, I've seen that so much, Nate, in my practice, particularly with women who have been primary caregivers. It's like they've given up their hobbies, they've given up 
the things that make them feel like a unique individual and then kids leave and yeah. So that's, that's a challenge for, for primary caregivers to, to carve out time because kids can just, they can take everything if you let them, you know, Mm -hmm. but I always say it's okay to ask your kids to support you. You know, when I was working on my PhD a few years ago, like I would ask my kids for help, like, okay, you guys, I'm going to shut my door. You guys need to take care of yourselves or here's, here's what I need from you. Or you need to do these chores and I need to finish writing this paper. It's okay. You know, it's okay to require something of them. We think it's just, Oh, the parent's job is just to give, give. No, the kids need to learn reciprocity and relationships. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where are they going to learn it? (laughs) Right. Even in our, we interviewed Marilee Boyack last week. And one of the things she said she did with her four sons when they were young is she'd say like eight 30 or nine o'clock at night. She'd say, she'd say, I'm turning into a, a wife now. So <laughs> I'm not your mom anymore yeah. and you guys can hang around, but I'm going to be doing wife things and you're not going to want to watch it. And they would, they'd go to their room Yeah. and That's she said like cute. a clear, a clear cute. boundary of like, there's times when I am mom and there's times when I am wife and yeah. those are different. Yeah. And it helped her kind of hold on to who she was, not just as a mother, but as, I like as a that. partner. And then it helps the kids also learn that they need to be individuals too. Right. And eventually they're going to be, right. Yeah. They're going to be needing to stand on their own. And yeah. have, you guys, have you guys ever read any books by the Arbinger Institute? Yes. The Anatomy of Peace and, uh, Bonds that make us free. I believe that's, that's the one that I might be one. Read. Um, but, but it's they, been years. They talk a lot in, um, in one of their books, they talk a lot, I think a couple of their books, they talk a lot about using people, seeing people as people or seeing them as objects. Objects, yeah. And I feel like Unrighteous Dominion is almost always going to be tethered back to, do you see your partner or the person that you're interacting with as a means to an end to get what you want? Or do you see them as another person with their own independent thoughts, feelings, needs, emotions? Right. And if you are working, if you're working in partnership, you're seeing them as another person, not as a thing. Right. And I think that the, the danger is when we start treating people as objects. Right. You're there to meet my needs. You're there to do this for me. To be you're obedient. There to, to make to be, me feel a certain way. That's right. a big one. Like, you know, I, Oh, I don't feel good about myself. Well, my husband should make, should make me feel good about myself. Isn't it your job to pay me endless compliments and fill me up with and validation and self-worth? Yeah. And if I don't feel good about myself, it's your fault. you're doing something wrong. Right. You're not giving yeah. me enough. Ooh, it's, that's yeah, a, it's like, that can be a scary thing to come face to face with. And it's, it's really common because you, <coughs> in, in some of the ways we talk about marriage and Mormonism, you'd think that that's like, yeah. Yeah. You should be giving me, you sh- it is your job to make me feel. Mm-hmm. And, and in some ways it's like, yes. And they can only, they have to add your, your spouse can add to your sense of self, but they can't give it to you. And yeah. I think that's the mm-hmm. big We difference. can reinforce, but we can't create, create for you. Right. And it's something that's not there. It's a huge problem with people who get married really young because they don't have a fully formed sense of self. Right. Often. I mean, some do and some don't, and you can get married later and not have it too. But, but age sometimes helps you develop that. And so I've seen in couples who've gotten married really young that they, they both have this emptiness that they expect the other person to fill because they didn't really develop that for themselves. Right. Interesting. That is interesting. 
Okay, you wanted to talk about um, presiding. Presiding. Yeah, and I don't know that I have anything. We don't have to have to, answers. To add good, Let's just wrestle a little bit with so, this idea of presiding. So, presiding, it, it's the meaning has actually evolved. If you look at some of the writings, like um, from General Conference in the fifties, right? Yeah. It was like the father's the head of the home. You mm-hmm. don't hear that anymore. So it's kind of evolved to. Husbands should take the lead in spiritual matters, right? Like it, and I, I don't even know if I agree with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. I feel like in, in our house here, it's a, it's a partnership. We right. both, we share taking the lead. We share, um, so I'd love to know your thoughts on presiding. Oh, geez. And first, because the proclamation you brought up earlier uh, preside as equal part, like the husband presides at, as equal partners. How, if you're president, how are you an equal partner like with your spouse? Yeah, that's a good question. First, I feel like we hear the word preside all the time, but I'm not sure if I know what the actual definition of preside is. Do you know? Should we, we look, look it up Google? really quick? <laughs> just yeah. See what the Let's actual the definition, definition is. Because, like, I hear it in context, and so I assume Are we s- it yeah. means, like, to, I don't even know what I assume it means. You can keep talking. Uh, preside. Be in the position of authority in a meeting or gathering. Uh, let's see. It's like taking charge. Yeah, be in charge of a place or situation. So in charge, we we conflate that with control. Mm-hmm. In There's our, a big difference between right, like those two things. And so I think if you if you take, presi- I'm just thinking out loud here. I may mm, not get anywhere great. important. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you take it out of the ranking context and into the relationship. It's just an assignment for someone to take the lead in a certain thing, mm-hmm. not necessarily to exercise control over. Right. Just kind of get the ball rolling, maybe. Yeah. I like that. Maybe. I don't well, know. Well, it's like, I mean, sometimes when we talk about things like family home evening, maybe a child is in charge one Monday of planning it and divvying out assignments. They would then be presiding over that family but home I evening. don't think we would say that. I think right. we'd say the husband still it, right? Like right. in Mormonism, right. wouldn't we say like the highest ranking, it's usually the highest ranking priesthood holding person is the presider. Yeah. Right. We even had, we had an awkward experience when our names got read into our new ward and they started to read Angeline's name first and stopped themselves and went back and read my name and then Angeline's name. And I'm like, you can read Angeline's name first. I don't care. Yeah. But it's, it's weird how we... Um, right. So I looked at the etymology of preside, and it says... This is... Sorry if this is derailing what you guys were just talking about. Um, uh, preside comes from the Latin presidere, to stand guard, or literally Ooh. to sit in front of. Okay. That is important. <clears throat> to stand guard, like to protect, to make sure... Things are like everybody's okay. Yeah. To act as the, the, like the person who stands guard is going to be the first one who takes damage if there's a threat. Right. 
right? I like that. You're going to be on the front line. You're the first one into action. You're the first one in, into like... And we kind of look at it like you're the, you'd are the you be the last one. You're on the throne kind of. But, right. Uh, so that, I think, is really important, an important distinction that you brought up. I really like that. To stand guard. So who's protect. standing guard oh, and to, who's protecting? Yeah. But, but then I could go, well, I do too. Like, mm-hmm. it's a couple thing. It so, is a couple thing. But maybe, maybe it's just an assignment that it's not like, oh, because you're better at it or you're this. It's just like, okay, you're assigned, like, you know, you're assigned family night tonight. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's just right. like an assignment. Well, that's why the, like you said, I'm not sure if this is the exact wording, but in the proclamation to the world, it says that the husband and wife are to preside as equal partners. So well, it says the husband presides. Oh, okay. And then later it says the husband and wife are equal partners. Okay. And so if, if we change that language to the, to the husband stands guard or the husband pr- protects, I, I guess that's a little bit more, it still doesn't totally satisfy. It's less authoritarian. Right. 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 And then more of like an assign, you know, like, Okay, your job is to stand guard today. Over your family. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It makes it and a I little more... If we get into... Um, how do I... I have a hard... It's really hard for me to talk about gender because it, I, I, I'm scared of stepping on people's toes. But I feel like inherently, not 100% of the time, but generally speaking, men tend to be more protectors when men and men, women tend to be more nurturers. That's not 100% of the true across 100% true across the board, but I think traditionally throughout humanity, mm-hmm. that's been kind of the role that men have been given and women have been given, and it's maybe not as specific now. Yeah. But I can see how, like generally speaking, it could be a man's just like be- natural because of physical or just because of physical size. Yeah. Right. Like just because of the differences in physical bodies. Yep. He, like, if if there's a threat to my family, I'm gonna throw myself between the threat and my family. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. just how I, like, I feel like that's something that's, maybe it's cultural, I don't know, but it yeah. feels like it's ingrained in who I am. It feels like I would do the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so. But if it was, but if, if it was, it was me and my physical, wife. If it was like a tiger, maybe, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if they, like, let's say a tiger showed up and it was, <laughs> it was say. me and my wife and we had kids, I would want my wife to grab the kids and I would take on the tiger. Mm, gotcha. Does that make sense? Yep. She's still putting herself between the kids and the tiger. Yeah. But I am like, I'm the first line of, I'm going to punch that tiger in the face and give my wife and kids as much time to escape as possible. Mm. Gotcha. Does that Standing make sense? Guard. Yeah. And I, yeah. Feel, I would feel cowardly if I pushed my wife in front of the tiger and I grabbed the kids. Yeah. Maybe, and maybe that's social conditioning. I don't know. But like, I feel like I'm the sentry. I'm the, I, I am the, the man who stands guard for my family. Yeah. And, and my wife does also, but I feel like if it came down to me and my wife having to stand like with a, with a physical threat and, and maybe this is why it's less, not less relevant, but maybe more confusing now is because we in modern society, we're not dealing a lot with physical threat right. where, where size of your body matters. I mean, it does in, in unrighteous dominion, if you can, you know, like with abuse and things like that, right. right. Size right. does matter, but we're not dealing with external threats often that have to do with, you know, your size actually matters. Right. You know, we're not so doing that. Let's interesting. S- I had a really interesting conversation with uh, a man who, um, 
runs a, a series of nationwide men's groups. And he talked about how there's a lot of men who still want to be protectors and providers, but there's this exact thing. He's like, there aren't tigers. There aren't physical threats. So what are we protecting and providing? How are we doing this protecting and providing? And his insight blew my mind. He said, we're protecting and providing. We're protecting our, our wives and our children from ourselves. Because wow, because uh, what exactly what you talked about at the very beginning of this podcast is the most damaging thing and the most threatening thing to our families now is like the shame and the physical abuse, physical abuse or the emotional, emotional abuse, and verbal. Neglect. And our job is to act as a sentry almost now to, against ourselves, and we need to be able to sh- to protect. And, and provide the type of protect from the negative things that we tend to do mm-hmm. to our children and wives and provide for them a loving, healthy atmosphere where they can um, feel like they're enough, they're, they're valued, that their contributions mean something and that they can show up exactly as who they are and, and feel supported. So maybe wow. our job is to, to pr- protect uh, from, our, from our own selves. And so it's a, and that, it's a challenge to ranking, develop ourselves. That, that toxic masculinity and the ranking that is so ingrained, like to protect against that and yeah, and to move toward relationship. Because I feel like men in general, uh, like especially like millennial fathers, want to be engaged with their kids. They want relationship. Yeah. They don't necessarily need to be like, I'm the head of the household right. or I'm the sole it's provider. It's less 1950s right. gender but roles. But I, I really think that's a great insight. So if you want to protect and provide the protect way that you do it from, <laughs> from, from, from the worst version of yourself, right? which gives you a responsibility to develop into a more godlike person right? and offer the things that God would offer his family or his, his children. Wow. And... And going along with that, I mean, a huge thing that I, uh, a theme in my work with women who are trained to often to put other people before themselves is to nurture themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. But we don't tell men to do that. Not very often. Right. But, but it, it's kind of the corollary to pr- provide and pr- protect, uh-huh. right? From themselves. It's women need to nurture themselves. Yeah. yeah. Not just nurture other people. Exactly. So. The nurturing needs to go inward and outward. Right. And the protecting needs to go. Inward. Inward and outward. Yeah. I like that correlation. When it goes back to the scripture you shared, just using that meekness and that gentleness yeah. and that long suffering instead of the fear right. versus yeah. right. love. But yeah. uh, the, the, the scary thing is that most men haven't been taught how to be meek and humble. Well, and you're punished for it. Yeah. You're punished socially for showing weakness, which is just so tragic. You're punished for showing vulnerability, for showing sadness and pain and pain. And, um, and that's, I think a huge problem, which, and those are the very things that create men who are insensitive and abusive. (laughs) Right. So it's like, we're doing to boys the things that turn them into the men that we don't want. Right. Then we punish them for being those, those men. It, have you seen the mask you live in? Yeah. That's a powerful documentary yeah. the, about toxic masculinity. And, and it talks a lot about kind of, you know, this, what we're talking about, but how, so a lot of this is how can we parent boys, young boys and babies differently. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it goes to that family and teach them personal responsibility <laughs> in every aspect, not only for, for their own emotions, personal responsibility for their own actions, personal responsibility to, and to care, 
to take care of their own world in a way that allows them to take care of other people mm-hmm. as well. And how, how do we teach them to be nurturing? Mm-hmm. How do we teach them to be relationship oriented instead of ranking oriented, mm-hmm. right? The yeah. sports things are awful when it comes to that, right? <laughs> like where are you, I mean, I think competition is great, but when your worth is wrapped up in where you rank, you got big problems. Yeah. So I guess that depends on, I mean, I think sports are great for Mm -hmm. developing character. And the question is, are we, are we encouraging our kids to put their self-worth in how they're ranked? Right. So I I feel like the sports, it's not how, it's not the sports that are damaging. It's how we, how we frame it, frame it. It's Mm -hmm. all about context. Succeed if you win. Right. Right. Because I think it's only valuable if you, it's important to teach kids hard work and it's important to teach them to do things that they love and to work together as a team mm-hmm. and um i don't know so but yeah there's a danger in in saying that you're only you're only valuable if you're an all-star or right. you're only valuable if you mm-hmm. are you know hit the home run or score the winning goal or, the, or you know have on the, the varsity ranking. team yeah yeah have the winning rec- record yeah i also think something that's relevant to this conversation is we were talking the other day with um, our good friend Kristen Hudson, which yeah. you know, and she was teaching a lesson, a Sunday school lesson on, I can't remember what it was, but it had something to do with gender roles. Oh yeah. She, we actually Did talked a, a lot conversation about, about that. Yeah. Yeah. I gave her some of my and resources. Something <laughs> she wanted to frame was the difference between a, a role and a stewardship. And, and I feel like my article. Is really? it? It is? Yeah. Well, so then awesome. you, you should tell us about it yeah, because you wrote awesome it. About this. <laughs> so this is really, so I was in, I was researching gender role. Look at your influence coming full circle. That's I love like, this. Well, that was my article. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wrote an article for Meridian magazine and I was researching gender roles and this is hysterical, but the origin of the word gender role is from the 1950s. Uh, a scientist named John Money, who was studying intersex individuals and their their expression of masculinity. Can you define intersex for people who may not like? So they're born with both sets of genitals or Mm -hmm. ambiguous. And so he was studying their expression of masculinity and femininity. And that's how where it was that term gender roles was coined, mm-hmm. which is so funny. Yeah. So then I, I mapped out in this article the use of the word role in general conference and, and how it went up after that, like as sociology started talking about gender roles and how we kind of adopted this language that didn't, exa- didn't exist before the 1950s. And so in this article, I suggest that Instead of using role, because a role is a pre-scripted, pre-planned performance, mm-hmm. where stewardship is a general overview responsibility for, but it's it's there's so much more flexibility. Right. So I think I I like the analogy of like a role is putting on a suit of armor that's already preformed and you have to fit into it and you have to figure out how to make it work versus stewardship is a cloak that you wrap around you. You get to tie it how you want. It's there's a lot more individual um, customization. Customization and flexibility. Yeah. And so I suggested, um, and some people think I didn't go far enough that stewardship stills, you know, not doesn't, it's too restricting. (laughs) Yeah. But in the, at least for this article, I said, well, what if we talked about gender stewardships and there's just a lot more flexibility? Right. I I love that because I feel like 
a lot of the traditional issues we run into is trying to fit a mold of this preconceived notion of this armor of what we're supposed this to be. This is what a mom woman, is. This is what a wife a is. This is what right. a husband is. Mm-hmm. This is what a dad is. This is what it means to preside over a family. Right. Right. Versus this is your response. This is your responsibility or stewardship. And you get to make out of it what you want to make mm-hmm. out of it. And the proclamation does say, talk about individual adapt adaptation mm-hmm. depending on your family situation. And so that's, I go, okay, there it's, and it doesn't use the proclamation doesn't use the term gender roles. So it, how it speaks is more like stewardship. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like, let's, it just, I like that term so much more because I do feel a stewardship in a, a slightly different way than my husband does over our family. Like we feel both feel stewardship over our family, but in slightly different ways. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of overlap. I provide for our family financially. He does too. He does a lot of the cooking. He, right. But it's slightly different. The areas where we feel more responsible. Yep. And so for me, that, that works. We like it. Like we're pretty, we're pretty loosey goosey with our stewardship stewardships as well. <laughs> they overlap a lot, <laughs> a lot. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's really healthy for kids to see. And I think it's, um, my sons are nurturing sensitive because I think in large part, I mean, they were born that way and their dad took care of them a lot mm-hmm. and uh, directly. And they saw men being, they saw their dad being nurturing and yeah being a caregiver too. And they saw their mom being strong and having, you know, a public persona and having a business and do you know what I mean? So there's that flexibility. And for us that, and for me, that was really important. Love it. I I love love it. It keep, I think it keeps us from falling into those unrealistic expectations and more living with an intention. Uh, This is what I want to accomplish. And so I'm going to live this way but it doesn't have to look like anybody else. Right. And we do have really rigid, like ideas of what a Mormon woman, Mormon man, Mormon, you know, you add Mormon to woman and man and it's like, Oh, we kind of know exactly what that is. And it's like, no, let me just go to Instagram. That'll show me exactly (laughs) what it is. (laughs) How am I supposed to be? Oh, I know Pinterest right there. Right. There's the birthday party. (laughs) Well, Julie, thank you so much for spending so much time with us. This has been a really interesting conversation. Yeah, it's been um, I, we came in with with uh, no specific expectations, and I'm delighted with the direction that we kind of took. Good job having low expectations. <laughs> not low, no. not low. <laughs> uh, I think I think just like open to whatever happened. Yeah. So. That's great. It's been a good, a good time. Yes. Yeah. So if you're experiencing unrighteous dominion or you see it, um, I think it's important to to talk about it. And yeah. if you're if you're feeling like you're being dominated i guess mm-hmm. or uh, even if you're the one dominating just to give yourself permission to recognize it and try to be just a little bit better every day perfect time to end you just got a package yes. <laughs> <laughs> thanks your you conversation guys. will end at the tone yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks for tuning into this episode of mormon marriages we're so glad you listened Uh, One great way to show your appreciation for us, if you did enjoy this episode, is... Subscribe to the show. Find us on iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a comment. And share it with a friend. And share it with a friend, yeah. 
Uh, we're really loving getting all the feedback that we're getting from some of our listeners. So um, please continue to reach out. You can get a hold of me at Nate at first7years.com and you can get a hold of Angeline at Angeline at first7years.com. That's A N G I L Y N. And we'd just love to hear your thoughts, feelings, and insights regarding the show. So uh, we'll see you next time. Yep. See you next time. <laughs>